Good morning, honored assembly. Earlier, earlier today, uh, it's kind of a, not very many of us during morning service, so I'm like, oh good, this is going to be a, a low-stress Dharma talk, and you all kept piling in. It's like, well, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And I want to thank my teacher, uh, Galen Roshi, in absentia. She is uh, in Peru with her uh, Japanese Soto Shu delegation, um, practicing the Dharma in Peru. So I hope it's a, a fruitful visit for her. And I thank her for all of her uh, continuing, ongoing support. So, um, the song of the trusting mind, which most of you have in your hands, and if you didn't get a copy, uh, maybe you can sit next to someone. Uh, it's an enlightenment poem, and it's widely attributed to the third Chinese Zen ancestor, Sang Song. And his teacher was the second Zen ancestor, Hui Ka and his Dharma successor was Dao Xin. So in our Japanese lineage, um, if you're interested, <clears throat> uh, Seng Song would be the 13th ancestor, Kanchi Sosan, whose teacher was Taiso Eka, and his successor, Daihi Doshin. And uh, I might refer to Seng Song as Kanchi Sosan interchangeably. And it turns out there's quite a bit of uh, mystery as to who the third Chinese ancestor actually was in terms of the individual and the lineage and who actually wrote the poem. Uh, it could be that the third ancestor is actually a composite of uh, other Zen teachers of that time. Nevertheless, now we have it um, and we just go ahead and attribute the poet, the poem to him. The Zen scholar and translator Red Pine describes the Xin Xin Ming as a series of epigrams the Chinese call them Ming, consisting of couplets that can stand alone or be linked together. And at one time, it's said that this poem actually rhymed, rhyming couplets, but through the centuries and translations, it's, it's gotten broken up, and pretty much these days people are free just to <laughs> swap out stanzas and verses and arrange the order of it. Um, <clears throat> So yes, um, these couplets, they used to stand alone or can be linked together, and despite their antiquity uh, and widespread use, the Ming never really played an important role uh, amongst Chinese literary forms. And in fact, it's akin, according to Red Pine, it's akin to uh, that of a greeting card. The word, his words, the word Ming can also uh, mean bright, light, inscribed, clear, or engraved. And it should be noted that no text has been translated more than the Xin Xin Ming. <clears throat> and the version we'll be reciting is translated as Verses on the Faith Mind by Richard B. Clark. And here's some examples of other translations of the Xin Xin Ming. And note that Xin can um, be used to describe both heart and mind. So we have On Trust in the Heart, Song of the Trusting Hearts, On Believing in Mind, Verses on the Perfect Mind, Faith and Heart Mind, <coughs> True Heart Mind, The Mind of Absolute Trust, Have Faith in Your Mind, A Song of Enlightenment, Faith Mind Inscription, and Engraving Trust in the Heart, and about a do dozen others. So we will recite the poem, and um, if you're not familiar with uh, our chanting style. It's sort of atonal. We don't, uh, we don't enunciate the, um, 
um, the punctuation, yes. Um, and so it's this sort of flat, and if it sounds like we're getting out of sync, simply stop chanting, and then we'll sync back up with the rest of the people. So, Neely, if you can give us a stop, and Kokyo will announce the chant. Attached to the idea of enlightenment is to go 
astray, just let things be in their own way. There will be neither coming nor going. Obey the nature of things, your own nature, and you will walk freely and undisturbed. When God is in bondage, the truth is in, for everything is murky and unclear, and the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. What benefits can be derived from distinctions and separations if you wish to move in the one way? Do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. Sahara said when she was caught off guard about uh, this poem. 
it's true. <laughs> it is true. Um, you have to forgive me. Some of my um, text here got scrambled up together, so I'm going to have to fight my way out of this. Um, so some of these verse, verses and phrases um, are probably already familiar to most of us. As Dogen Zenji was saying some of these uh, things seven centuries later uh, in medieval Japan, and that we still chant to this day in our lineage. So here's just a few lines from Dogen's universally recommended instructions for Zazen, or the Fukan Zazengi, um, <clears throat> that echo the Shin Shin Ming. Think of not thinking. How do you think of not thinking? Non-thinking, that in itself is the essential art of Zazen. Do not think good or bad. Do not administer pros and cons. Cease all the movements of the conscious mind. And yet, if there is the slightest, the slightest discrepancy, the way is as distant as heaven from earth. So, a few weeks ago, um, a hearty band of uh, some Zen students from here at the Zen Center traveled, uh, <coughs> including myself and Galen Roshi, um, studied this poem together. We traveled over the Santa Lucia Mountains, along the coastal central California, down into a particular valley where Tassajara Zen Mountain Center resides, the oldest Zen monastery in the U.S. And for some of us, it was a new experience, and for others, it was a much welcomed return, a homecoming of sorts, after three years of COVID shutdowns. And we hiked in the mountains and along the rivers, and we joined the community for meditation, talks, and meals. We washed dishes, prepared meals, and worked on the land. And deep in the Ventana wilderness, we studied... Wow. Deep in the Ventana wilderness, we studied this poem. So, what, <clears throat> so these themes of letting go of likes and dislikes of all these dualities is these themes and tenets flow through the Zen schools because they are enduring principles. So we keep coming back to them. Now what strikes me about the Shin Shin Ming initially is its apparent straightforwardness and simplicity. It's all kind of laid out there for us and it's pretty much free from arcane and cryptic koan-esque prose. And yet it also seems to be somewhat heavy-handed uh, and provokes us with vexing lines like, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. <laughs> the more you talk and think about it, the further away, the further you astray, you wander from the truth. And almost our entire Sunday program here is dedicated to talking and thinking about the Buddha Dharma. But if you just stop talking and thinking, there's nothing you will not be able to know. If you do not discriminate between the coarse and fine, you will not be tempted to prejudice and opinion. So I'll just recite this, see if this can work. Yeah, this, uh, this initial paragraph, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then no, hold, no, hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> don't talk, don't think, 
have no preferences or opinions, and just stop loving and cherishing those who are near and dear to you. <laughs> and as for hate and aversion in all its forms, <clears throat> excuse me, just be apathetic and indifferent to racism and violence and injustice. Actually, these are advanced teachings, you could say, um, and when they're misunderstood and misapplied, they can cause harm. They can become a type of Zen sickness where one carries the erroneous notion that apathy, indifference, and a lack of empathy and compassion is how one should practice. I think we can consider this Dharma malpractice or Zen malpractice. <laughs> And I think it's safe to say this is not what Kanchi Sosan is expressing in, in this poem. And I also think it's safe to say that a great deal of thinking, opinion, and preference went into the creation of, of his poem. It's considered an enlightenment poem about not being caught up in object-subject dualities, and it's about the liberation that arises from the freedom from dualistic perceptions. Now here are some more lines, hopefully I can get through this, uh, to help clarify things, maybe. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of sense and ideas. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. When thought is in bondage, is in bondage, the truth is hidden. Just let things be in their own way. To come directly into harmony with this reality, just simply say, when doubt arises, not to. In this not to, nothing is separate, nothing is excluded. Nothing is excluded within the sphere of experience. Galen, Roshi, and I teach the introduction to Zen meditation series several times throughout the year. And so we're always meeting folks who are very new to meditation, and it is a very common misconception amongst new meditators that stopping thoughts is requisite for meditation or that thinking, including any activity of mentation, memory pictures, fantasy, projection, etc., is somehow negating their meditation practice. So we make it a point to consistently disabuse these folks of such notions because at a minimum it can hinder or even abort their fledgling practice and even worse it can reify some corrosive idea that they are incapable of, of meditation owing to some personal failing some inherent wrongness in them and I remember distinctly in the early 2000s when I was getting interested in meditation I might get up in the morning listen to a Dharma talk read some more meditation books and when I got time to meditate, I, was, I thought I was a hot mess. Um, it's like, I can't stay still. My mind is just like going a million miles a second. And it was verifying that, yeah, this isn't for me. Or, yep, I know this, is, this isn't going to work out. You know, it's all these ridiculous narratives. I can, looking back now, and one of the, <laughs> one of the um, conditions because of that was simply coffee drinking too much coffee in the morning and I get myself all anxious and worked up uh, and yeah. Anyway. <laughs> now coffee's no problem. Coffee and I are friends. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so thinking in all its manifestations is as human as 
opposable thumbs. Um, and the same goes for preferences and opinions. And we can certainly be imprisoned by our thinking, and we can be liberated from thinking. Thinking that you would show up this morning to meditate with others was a good thought, a good idea. I think that through the cultivation of our meditation practice, awareness, sati, mindfulness, through practice, awareness comes to know the thinking mind, this mind that thinks. And in doing so, we cease to be held captive by thinking. We can see for ourselves that thinking is just, I put just in parentheses, that thinking is just more sense phenomenon. We have preferences and opinions, but they are not obscuring reality anymore. We are all very much capable of being mindful of mind itself. When thought is not in bondage, the truth is not hidden. <laughs> now I uh, back up for a minute. When I said um, that thinking is just more sense phenomenon, I'm not being dismissive of our own respective inner lives about um, challenges that come with being a human being. Um, so I'm not trying to be dismissive. Oh, that's just thinking. Just do away with all that and everything will be fine. However, thinking is sense phenomena also. Must be known. We chant this every Sunday. So watch this mind inside and watch the mind outside. When we know our minds more in more and more subtle ways, we can see how preferences and attachments work and not get, not get caught by them. Clinging and aversion and all its manifestations, gross and subtle, is what we should be vigilant of. So we consistently and compassionately remain open to the six senses, open to sight, sound, smells, taste, touch, and objects of mind. Nothing is separate, nothing is excluded including intrusive thoughts, pleasant thoughts, and anything else. Whatever makes contact with the senses is folded into experience with nothing rejected. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. So what about faith, trust, and heart? The term faith or trust in this poem's title might initially seem paradoxical, within the context of Zen Buddhism, which is often associated with um, direct experience and great doubt. However, Kanchi Sosan's faith and trust refer to a deep trust in the inherent wisdom of the mind when it's free from delusion. This kind of faith is not based on blind belief or dogma, but on the experiential understanding that arises from direct insight into reality. Lin Qi, or Lin Ji, was a 8th century Chinese Rinzai master who shockingly suggested that if you encounter Buddha on the road, kill him. Kill the Buddha. This is the same Rinzai master of the fist and the shout and the blow. So, an intense dude. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I take this to mean that, again, blind, dogmatic, dogmatic faith or trust is not the way. If we religiously idolize Buddhas and teachers, this is only creating more separation, reinforcing more duality. So kill the Buddha means to let go of all object of, 
objectification of Buddha as something outside of oneself. We must realize that mind is Buddha. Ultimately, it's up to us, but not as a separate being. And there's, there must be one that crosses their legs and adopts the universal mudra. So thus there is this deep abiding trust and faith in heart-mind is another way to put all this together. It's why the words inscription and engrave are used in some translations. They denote a deep, unshakable trust or faith or confidence born of direct experience. Just let things be in their own way. If you wish to move in the one way, do not dislike even the world of senses and ideas. So going back to some source material, the Dhammapada, you yourselves must strive. The Buddhas only point the way. These meditative ones who tread the path are released from the bonds of Mara. That is to say, the bonds of duality. So our way, our family style, our response to the song of the trusting mind is shikantaza, just sitting, abiding in this open-ended, present, continuous investigation. With a compassionate heart, just let things be in their own way. Not turning away, not reaching out, goalless, good-for-nothingness, meaningless zazen with nothing to add, nothing to take away. This is our practice. It's becoming comfortable with open-endedness, with seeing this mind that always wants a conclusion or a reason or causes that can be quantified, things that we can point to, things that we can blame, etc., Letting all that just be, and just looking and watching. Being kind to ourselves in our practice, always coming back and establishing this mindful presence with great compassion for ourselves and others. So I think that's going to conclude this talk. Thank you very much.